This episode of the podcast is brought to you by my company, Horns of Odin. Now, recently we released our winter range, which is our biggest ever clothing collection. It's made up of our signature Horns of Odin jacket, which is a beautiful check jacket with a thick quilted padding lining. We also have a Nord sweatshirt, which is a beautiful caramel sweatshirt, which is nice and thick to keep you warm in the cold weather. We also have a selection of different t-shirts with beautiful petroglyph designs of different gods. So we have our Freya t-shirt, we have an Odin t-shirt, a Thor t-shirt and a Freya t-shirt. Alongside that, we have some nice simple t-shirts with just a petroglyph logo on there. We have a selection of different beanies in different colours. We also have a couple of scarves on there in various different colours as well. So if you like the sound of that, please just head over to hornsvoting.com to check out the full range. And also, exclusively for listeners of this podcast, we're giving you a 10% discount. So all you have to do is use the code HORNS10 at checkout. So that's HORNS10 at checkout and you get 10% off your entire order. That doesn't just uh, apply to the winter range. It's literally off anything on the website. Just as an extra thank you for supporting the podcast. All right, let's jump into the show. Welcome to the Nordic Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farron, co-owner of the company Horns of Odin, and I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Matthias Nordvig. Hello, everyone. Now, we have a very special guest this time. We have Stina Sandnes. Uh, Stina is from Norway. Um, she runs the uh, handle on Instagram, Helheimen, um, where she uh, is posting a lot of really cool pictures of her art basically the um, different kinds of like conceptual pictures that she takes of um norwegian landscape iceland um inspired by folklore and mythology from scandinavia of course um and aside from that stina you also have a an ma in sociology and you're currently doing a, an a, is it a full ma in scandinavian language and literatures uh, I'm not sure yet, actually. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to see if do the bachelor's and then I'll see where it's, uh, where life is at when I'm done. Right. But yeah. I'm, I might. It sounds really cool. Well, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's really, really cool to be here. You're welcome. Thank you. So, I, I mean, whereabouts in the world are you? How, how are things where you are at the minute because we just got put in another national lockdown which is always fun which is one reason why i'll probably be really grumpy today because the gyms are closed yeah it's the same here uh i don't know about the gyms but um uh, alcohol is not uh permit pro it's not allowed to sell like in pubs and stuff mm. oh, okay can you buy it from like a regular shop i guess yeah, so the lines are really long now. Of course they are. And uh, yeah, it, it will probably be like that for at least two weeks. Things are getting pretty strict. It just feels like the whole world's falling apart. But yes. that does fit the episode today where, you know, we're yes. going to talk about all things underworldy and hell. And we probably should have saved this for uh, Halloween if we were a little bit more organized. But, you know... <laughs> Yeah, uh, I can come back on Halloween as well. 
and we can do more scary, scary stuff. I like the sound of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I said, before we before we jump into the the episode, uh, I guess we have to give a special mention to uh, a little cartoon that popped up just before we uh, started the episode, which was probably has made my day. I was having a a poor day until until I saw this, and it really cheered me up. Um, Mateus, you had have you had a chance to to look at it? Oh yeah, I have. I love it. <laughs> I already uh, reposted it on uh, on my story on Instagram. Yeah. So for anybody that wants to uh, to go and check it out, it's by a, a girl who supports us on Patreon. Her Instagram handle is the Storytellers Journal, and it's just a little comic strip of me and me and Mateus in our usual way. Uh, you've got me. Can I say you know? Uh, I guess it's. Uh, do you do you want to do you, Mateus, and I'll do me, and we can uh, run through it. <laughs> sure, let's do it. <laughs> um, okay, so it goes. So what? So what can you tell us about the Vikings? Well, it's complicated. Where shall I start? Okay, how about Viking women? Yeah, it's uh, complicated. What about Viking tattoos? That's mm, uh, also complicated. Mateus, please tell me they're actually real, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and there you go. It's a little little comic strip. And like I said, that uh, definitely put a smile on my face today. Totally yeah, made my a day. a really good one. <laughs> <laughs> I've been I mean, listening to a lot quite... of your podcasts. So, I, I, mean, it's, I mean, it's pretty like spot on, isn't it? <laughs> it is quite fitting. Yeah, yeah. it seemed to, to sum it up in you know, eight boxes. It sums up the podcast perfectly. Yeah, it's really cool. Great job. So, so um, yeah, should we jump into the podcast as a whole? Uh, I, I mean, let's start with your Instagram page, I think, is a good place to start. Um, do you do all the photography yourself, or is it a case of getting other people in? How does, how does that work? Uh, yeah, I both. Uh, I usually have most of the concepts myself, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I usually have, uh, or sometimes have my brother to help out, and um, yeah, it, or other family members who, <laughs> try, yeah, they think it's fun to help out. I think, um, but some of them are also done by me. Uh, but it's it's a bit more work so but I, I'm usually one doing the planning of all the concepts mm-hmm. so you it just kind of feels like the, mine yeah so you come up with the ideas and then you're kind of the overlord who puts it all together yeah exactly <laughs> and then I do the editing and I mean I, yeah and uh, yeah uh, but I also do like self-portraits but um, uh, there's usually a lot of running back and forward with uh, like putting up the camera and then pressing play and then I run in front of the camera. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, that kind of breaks the mystique of some of the pictures because they're very quite harrowing, some of them. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's the aim. Yeah, that is the aim. Yeah, definitely. So what made you go down that kind of route of very kind of dark... Twisted's not the right word, I don't think, but it is very kind of, you know, that area of, like you say, of, of kind of hell. Yeah. I mean, yeah, hell, Hyman is like, yeah, it's not 
located in down and north. So mm-hmm. I just felt like it could be good because I, like Norway is in the north. <laughs> so, uh, and also I guess um, it was uh, like um, longing or I felt like I missed uh, to have something that connected me with uh, Norwegian, Scandinavian, Nordic culture and literature that wasn't World War II because we have a lot about that in school, but mm. um, not too much in the, in uh, about uh, Nordic uh, mythology and um, history and yeah. So I and also uh, <laughs> I guess also I was really uh, depressed when I started, so I <laughs> uh, I guess the name also kind of reflects that. I was uh, like clinically depressed um, when uh, like, yeah, and I got that diagnosed in, uh, I guess, 2015. Mm -hmm. I'm not uh, clinically depressed anymore, Uh, but I guess it also like, it was a way for me to have an outlet um, to express myself uh like feeling a bit down and dark and then <laughs> yeah uh, and also it's fun i mean it's fun yeah i'm not like oh i'm so dark and <laughs> I mean, you know i i like i have a like a distance to it but so so, the, so this means simply that that what you did was that you started a, a photography project based off of um your interest in like the the Scandinavian past and it like the it's a Scandinavian space as well, like the nature and and the the the, the historical sites and so on, and uh, basically like did that as sort of like a a a thing for therapy, self therapy to an extent. Yeah, I don't know if it was that conscious, but I feel like uh, I mean, the depression the depression makes you feel kind of. Um, distant from things so I was looking for a way to connect myself with myself and I just thought like what better way to go like back back to my roots I think uh, I think a lot yeah. of it is giving having something to give you purpose as well no yeah. matter how small it's just having that something that that gives you a reason it gives you a reason to do anything I guess you know you have this little little Instagram Instagram page at the time I imagine and it was it gave you focus creating each image having fun with it putting it together takes your mind away from the other the side of things and eventually you kind of claw your way out of this dark little hole I guess yeah definitely and it has I mean it has definitely connected me uh more towards like uh my roots my uh, or no we Norwegian and uh, Nordic history, but also with people. I mean, I met so many great people through Instagram mm-hmm. and I've gotten like a lot of good friends um, through Instagram. So I feel like, um, yeah, I, I, I think a lot of people these days feel this need to feel a real connection and, and in music uh, with people with themselves so I, I'm not saying like oh I'm like this is unique for me I think a lot of people uh, have 
had that kind of longing in one type mm -hmm. of way. And Matthias, you're really fortunate to have you have been raised uh, with more awareness around mm -hmm. your uh, history and heritage and uh, everything. So I mean, that's that's really uh, when I heard that in one of the podcasts, I was like, wow, that's really cool. Mm. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I, I think that was, um, that's definitely one of the parts of my childhood that I'm really happy about. Like, um, you know, having been introduced to all these, you know, old stories in different ways and not just also, not just for, for the Scandinavian region, but also you know, the Celtic uh, stories, um, Irish folklore and you know, Greenlandic folklore as well. It's, I think that for me is sort of like, uh, just set everything in sort of like a natural order, <laughs> like in in the way that I relate to the world around me. So yeah, no, I, and and yeah, some sometimes you have to like um, work a little hard, I guess, to to like uh, get to that point and get to that feeling. Um, but I think everybody can do it, and I and and I really like the way that you're doing it. I, I'm personally a big fan of the aesthetics and the, and the images that you make. Yeah, there's some absolutely beautiful photos on there, and I've got to ask, and this is I guess maybe a little bit of a strange question, but have you noticed a change? Just <laughs> have you noticed a change in your I guess your art style as you've kind of come out of this depression? Have you have you seen it alter at all? Has it got a little bit lighter or has it stayed the same? I think I have like uh, the direction is a bit more clearer. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like I, at least my stories, uh, I'm, I'm a bit more relaxed. I, I don't. Um, yeah, I'm a bit more relaxed. I don't uh, think that much about things over and over again and I mean of course when you do something for a couple of years you feel more confident and you feel better and you uh, I actually took a break from Instagram as well because I felt like uh, I'm I was at the point where I just like did this for I, I didn't feel like it was uh, giving me anything mm -hmm. so I took a break but now that I'm back I feel like it's a bit more um yeah, I'm doing I'm doing this because I have a, a clear intention and I enjoy it. And I also really like to share um, like fun facts and different uh, historical stuff with people because I, I get so much like joy out of it myself, like reading about uh, different stuff. And I really like to share that with other people. Like I just found out that, or not just no, I know this for a while. But when I found out that, like uh, in Norwegian, we for example say that if something goes bad, you can say, uh, uh, "Okay, I can't remember Norwegian now." <laughs> um, if something goes bad, yeah, you can say the uh, or uh, then like uh, like it's a way of saying it went really bad, and it means directly translated. It went north and down, and that oh, okay. comes from, uh, or you can say like, uh, "Oh, we we caused OCL. Like we had so much hygge, we had so much uh, like we had such a cozy great time that we went to hell. Like we died." Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. to kill somebody in Danish is also to strike them into hell. Yeah, go yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, uh, I think we also have. Uh, I've definitely heard it in Danish before. The the expression uh, it went north and downwards. Yeah. So or like yeah. he, uh, black criticized Norne, like she was criticized north and down. Or you can mm. say, "Fröseel," uh, like freeze to hell. So there's a lot of like when I read stuff like that, I'm just like, "Woo! This is so much fun." I love like connecting things with, yeah, things I didn't know before. So I hope that other people who like read uh what i write under the pictures sometimes like also get some kind of like nerdgasm <laughs> <laughs> yeah hope, hopefully they read what you put it's so easy uh, to to just kind probably of probably not yeah probably uh very few people do that but oh, i uh, sometimes do it as well that i'll write yeah. these huge long paragraphs and this, yeah and put a nice picture on there and i'm like I bet one percent of these people have actually read whatever. Yeah, prob- <laughs> I mean, probably. But I mean, when if you enjoy something, then you know, I think then you first uh, do it because it gives you some type of joy. And for those ten percent or twenty percent who reads it, then hopefully as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's key to remember as well with Instagram, you seem to have got to this point now where you just enjoy doing it for you. And, you know, you you create these pictures, you create these posts, put them into the world and and you're happy with that. Whereas I think it's easy, especially when you first start to get hung up on the feedback from others and wanting wanting likes, wanting comments. And it, and it can get quite a negative space if you don't reach the kind of, levels and the bars that you set for yourself i know it's particularly when i first started with horns of odin i was posting pictures of these horns that i worked a lot of i spent a lot of time on expecting to get like hundreds of likes and i got like 10 and it's like it can be quite disheartening at the time but at the end of the day you've got to do it for you and the rest will follow as long as you have fun with it yeah i think people catch up the right people will catch up and if not, it means you suck. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me how it is. <laughs> no, I mean it's uh, it's so much to do with like uh, yeah, a, a lot of you can use a lot of. Some people are good with like uh, using different tactics to reach out. So it's of course also with that. Like you can have a great song. That's amazing. But if you don't have the right people around you, then uh, it might not reach its potential of mm-hmm. it. Mm. So it's, I mean, it's not, uh, no, it's a joke. I don't. No, I know. I know maybe, what you mean. Maybe, yeah. Because it can be so easy. You see, I mean, I, I, you know, I'll say it as it is. You see some stuff that is absolutely terrible, but gets loads of attention. And it's just because that particular person is really good at marketing and really knows how to put it in front of the right people. And then you get some people who do such amazing work and it just kind of stays in the shadows because they're a true artist and they're not necessarily the best at getting it out there. And I, you've got to try and find this balance, I think. Yeah, exactly. Uh, balance is definitely key. I know some people do people... just suck though. There's, yeah. <laughs> there's also an element of arbit- you know, like <laughs> just basic arbitrary 
nest arbitrary t what daniel you, you speak english which, which word is it i'm the last person you want to ask <laughs> well there's an element of that stuff being arbitrary too like mm -hmm. right uh there's so, like if i ever get stuck know, like that what i do is i just rephrase the sentence really mm -hmm. quickly to so it doesn't have to use that word anymore yeah that that would have been smart but here we are <laughs> <laughs> but my point was that you know sometimes like you get like reblogged for instance by or reposted by by somebody famous and then all of a sudden like uh whatever it is your instagram or youtube or something like that like blows up uh for a while and like i i think you know in in you can you can put a lot of awesome stuff out there and then you know get overlooked for years and then all of a sudden because of one single instance one event so mm -hmm. to speak and then boom everybody's like oh this guy and then at some point like you're <laughs> everybody's talking about it exactly like oh where did this guy come from he's amazing it's like well he's been working for 20 years with this crap he didn't just come from anything but there's a lot of a lot of great humble uh, artists out there who definitely don't get the credit they deserve. I think. Yeah, no, absolutely I not. Uh, Matthias, arbitrarily was the word you were looking for. Arbitrarily, there. yeah. <laughs> it only took me about a minute to think of. <laughs> but but on that note, I think one of the prime examples I always use would be like George R. R. Martin. You know, he was writing books for for years and years and, and game of thrones was out for a long time before it got picked up by hbo to become this big blockbuster tv show and i think people kind of look at it and go "Fuck me this this show this this concept came out of nowhere this writer came out of nowhere and it's like you know he he hustled for decades before he got the recognition that he deserved for, for that piece of art and that's the case for so many people it's not just whether it's a musician whether it's a photographer you know, they'll, they'll put out hundreds of songs and then you never know which is going to be that one that clicks and that one that blows up. And it's I think it's easy for people on the outside to look in and go, I guess it's, I guess it's kind of been like that hater mentality of looking out and going, oh, they've made it so easy. How did they do it so quickly? And it's like, well, doesn't it doesn't work like that. There's, there's hours and hours and hours yeah, before you get to that um, point. Yeah, I think it's like you kind of tend to... Or not, yeah, just people in general maybe like uh, pay a lot of the attention on those rare cases where it's like they do something once and it blows up. But I much rather, I love mm -hmm. to read stories about people who have been like working on something for years and then finally people catch up. I think it's so much like it's a lot more uh, inspiring and I think it's more realistic as well. So like when I read like oh he made this one song in two minutes and it blew up and just think yeah that's amazing great for you but I'm not gonna have my uh focus or attention on that because I know I will probably never be able to do something that quick and have it <laughs> blow up <laughs> do you think that ever actually happens or do you think that's part of them almost playing it down to try and be cool as well, kind of this cool exterior of like, oh yeah, it only took me two minutes, you know. I was like, well, did it? Or have you spent hundreds of hours learning the instrument? Have you spent, you know, all this time mastering your craft and then you happen to have just got to a point where you've done something? I feel like it's easy, once people have, are there and they've made it, it's easy for them to look back and kind of downplay the struggles of getting there to look like it was 
very yeah, easy I, and nonchalant. Yeah, I definitely agree. That can also be the case. Yeah. So, Stina, I, I would like to um, just talk a little bit about the aesthetics in the in, in the pictures that you that you take and you make. I so one of the things that caught my eye when I was looking at them is this um, the contrast between light and dark that that seems to be very present, um, and also the fragmentations of light. Um, actually, from what I know of um, sort of a, a like broadly speaking Scandinavian aesthetic, this is this is actually a, a, quite a, a traditional style. The, the the tendency to to focus on um, things that will uh, or um, visuals that fragment light in different ways and like brings the darkness in with the light and and mixes uh, mix it up. If if that makes sense, is is there any um have you like can you can you speak to that? Is there anything you you have been thinking about that or anything that you focus on in particular when you when you make these images? Yeah, I think I yeah I, I do that like it's mostly intentionally. Um, I think I one and one one reason is just that I like it and I'm probably socialized to like it. <laughs> like growing up with uh, mm -hmm. yeah kittles and and uh, just um, traditional like the the drawings to you see on traditional uh, to Norwegian uh, folk tales, it's usually it's usually like that. So um, mm -hmm. I guess uh, I'm yeah socialized into liking it like. Uh, and also, I right. yeah, yeah. I mean, I um, I think it, it plays well with kind of the theme, and also, hell, she's presented as this, um, like half at least in Snorre, <laughs> uh, she's presented as being like uh, half uh, human and half uh, blue or like this like weird ish dark color on the other side so uh, I try to like mm -hmm. uh, keep stuff a bit with a theme and I also I guess I just feel more comfortable with it for uh, those reasons probably because of uh, how bright and dark it is like so it's so bright during summer and so mm -hmm. dark during winter so it probably does something to your mentality I guess <laughs> yeah yeah, I mean, like speaking towards that, I uh, currently live on you know a latitude that is like more like northern Africa. Actually, I don't I don't think a, a lot of people actually realize how southern America or the United States actually are. <laughs> but but like Colorado, where it is 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 like corresponds to like northern Africa and like southern Spain ish around there, and uh, for several years what i was like really missing were those like bright northern summers where you just have like light all the way into like midnight <laughs> so I, I i totally understand that that's like uh yeah i still miss that actually yeah, it's really nice just like it's summer and it's three o'clock and it's still like the sun is not up but it's bright still yeah <laughs> 
You you just mentioned Kittelsen uh, before. I mean, there, there's a lot of uh, inspiration in your images uh, from from him. I mean, I I think I'm seeing uh, Nöcken in in one of them, right? Yeah, um, Nöcken and uh, Pasta. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's I think that's really cool, and it's about time that that you know you see modern interpretations of those. If you ask me, I think that's really awesome. Are there any other um, Norwegian artists that have like strongly influenced your your art? I would say it's more uh, general, uh, but Odnardrum as well. I really like is like just simplistic, mm -hmm. more like without a time type of paintings. Um, right. I tend to like things that look a bit. Uh, realistic and paintings and uh, I would also say Ivo Caprino and like Askeladden and the dolls and uh, how they are presented in like there is uh, yeah there's this uh, for those of you who are not Norwegian there's uh, a lot of kids in Norway grew up watching uh, Norwegian fairy tales but it's adapted into it's like made with dolls uh, and uh, it's uh yeah it's really cool i really enjoyed it um so probably him as well uh like it yeah it's it just sits from childhood uh, when i think about uh creatures norwegian or scandinavian creatures from like mythology i think i'm very influenced by that as well i i think one picture i have to ask about is the second to most recent one where it looks like you're about to eat a small child yeah. and I have to ask where the inspiration comes from that and who's the poor kid uh, it's my niece <laughs> uh, uh, yeah it's uh, my niece and it's so funny my sister was like so my brother took the shots and my sister helped uh, she was a, like a auto assistant um, mm. and and uh, so funny because the second picture that is taking after, like the my, Emilia, my niece, she looks terrified. But oh, I bet. Second, <laughs> in, but in the second picture, there's a picture of her smiling and laughing. So it was just like one like mm -hmm. shot. Uh, but yeah, it was. Uh, that's uh, the illusion, I guess, of photography. And uh, the inspiration is. Uh, I have always said Grilla, but it's Grilla. I think how you pronounce it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it's a female gigra, female troll uh, from, uh, she's uh, mostly, I mean, she's mentioned in Snorre Sturlesund as well, I think, or some pre, uh, um, or, or was it maybe pre Snorre as well? I, I think the legend is medieval. Um, but actually, uh, embarrassingly, I, I can't, can't really, I can't remember. Um, but, but I mean, she is a part of, you know, uh, Icelandic folk tales. Um, and she comes and eats, uh, children when it's here. Yeah. And oh, during, so during Christmas time, she yeah. would come and eat the kids. <laughs> so I read about her and, uh, that was my inspiration. <laughs> You did well with the photo then, because I knew none of that, and I just assumed from the picture you was going to eat a small child. So you, yeah. uh, <laughs> you, you captured the essence very well. 
Thank you. Uh, should we get started on the bulk of the episode, I guess, which is hell? Um, I have a lot to ask. So you, you've kind of mentioned geographically or hinted towards it being north and down. Is that kind of how is that accurate as a, a place as it would be? And how much does that link to, I guess, it being very cold up north and pretty inhabit, inhabitable and somewhere you don't want to go? So it would naturally be the place where you would assume the dead would be, I guess. So there's a couple of things. Um, in the story of Baldur's death in Snorristotusons Etta, that's where we have the episode where Hermoder, um, Odin's other son, uh, rides to hell to retrieve Baldur or try to retrieve Baldur. And that's where we get this um, reference where Mothgudr, who, so so he, he rides for, you know, so and so long through deep dark valleys and all that stuff. And then he comes to a river and there's a bridge. And then there's this figure, uh, warden, guardian of, of the underworld who um, who's like guarding the bridge. And uh, he asks this figure, this person, um, demon, whatever it is, um, where, well, if they've seen Balder and and then um, I think it's a she, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, she says something like, uh, "Yeah, um, he uh, he came over, he came by here, and uh, in order to find him, you have to go north or neither, so north and downwards." Um, so, so that's like that's like a concept that that you know seems to be pretty consistent. Um, throughout the, the the literature, and the Danish historian Saxo even has a story like this. They all they travel to the north, and then they have to like pass beyond the stars and the moon and the sun, or they have to like go through thick fog or cross a river that'll kill you if you touch it, and then you enter like this un underworld or other world where everything is just like funky, and. Yeah, that's definitely part of the whole, like the general conception. And I think uh, we could perhaps sort of relate that to Viking Age archaeology as well, where in Viking Age archaeology, we, uh, the, the you know, graves and, and such, what we often see is that people are buried with means of transport, which kind of suggests the idea that they are going to have to like travel to the underworld from that grave. And so that could very easily be that north and downwards, the, the direction that they're going. And yeah, absolutely. Anybody who had been, you know, sailing north and, and rounding Lofoten up in, in northern Norway would probably be like, yeah, going any further north, that's, that's definitely going to the underworld. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting because, I mean, in my mind, I tend to think about uh, like going down as going south. Mm. Yeah. So uh, I think that's, I mean, that's that, that. It went down south. Oh, that's also an expression. <laughs> yeah, it would, it's very seems very British. If, if that's how I've always looked at it as well. Is north is up and south is down, and it's, it's almost very childlike a way of looking at a map. Yeah. 
definitely. But I mean, in um, I mean, ancient Egypt, uh, or I mean, still uh, like northern Egypt is called uh, Lower Egypt, and South uh, Egypt is called Down. Uh, uh, yeah, that's yeah, the lower opposite. part, right? Yeah, that's yeah. the lower, <laughs> and then South is South is Upper Egypt. Yes, <laughs> and it's still called that. So I mean, how it, that as concepts uh, obviously change. Uh, so I just uh, I've actually I actually thought about that when reading down and north, like people had different direction concepts. They probably they probably had very little concept of north on a map as like a. I mean, they probably maybe had some, but but when it comes to like a compass wise north. Yeah, them up probably made more sense than than anything else. Or down, yeah. it was very kind of everyday geographical. So um, for medieval mapping, what we know is that actually Asia used to be up. Um, so so when you have like a, a medieval map of the world, say like in thirteen the thirteen hundreds, like the Hereford map, right? That's like a big round disc because you know, they kind of thought that the world looked like that. <laughs> um, and then you have, do. yeah, I guess, yeah. <laughs> or again. <laughs> so well, yeah, they had Asia up, like that would uh, that would be um, the the part that would be pointing upwards if you mm -hmm. had like the um, the map on like vertical, right? Yeah, and then uh, and then Europe would usually be on the. Uh, lower left side and uh, Africa on the lower right side. Um, and that's because of the directions from which like, Christ is supposed to come in, in Christianity. Um, this is also why you have graves aligned so that, uh, you know, if you're a medieval Christian and Christ shows up over there in Asia, then you rise up and you can see him. So you're aligned uh, east-west uh, for that. And and yeah, so how do so, you know this stuff? That's my job, man. <laughs> well, that isn't. <laughs> yeah, that's part of it because oh, you it? know this is also how you recognize uh, Christian graves in in the Viking Age in Scandinavia. Oh, okay, right? got, um, I read something about uh, graves being turned like with the entrance to the south and then the like the exit towards the north as well. Is that? Um. So so we have we have some. When it comes to non-Christian graves in Scandinavia, the the picture is incredibly broad. We do have some indications of like alignments, like for instance, uh, Gorm the Old, um, the the father of Harold Bluetooth, and the the guy who's like credited with Christianizing Denmark, especially because he like carved it in a runestone and stuff. But that king, he was buried in a burial mound that was in the center of what was recently believed to have been the biggest stone ship setting in Scandinavia. And that stone ship setting, which is huge by the way, uh, was aligned uh, north-south. So, so this suggestion has sort of like been that um, it was symbolically like sailing with the, the burial mounds to the north. That's at least like an, uh, an interpretation that is like floated around. Um, sometimes, yeah, we also see entrances aligned north and, and, and south, but it looks like these, you know, the, 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 the construction of graves and such 
in the Viking Age are very much like localized cosmologies, like in in that particular area or to relating to a particular family or or community. So it can be really difficult to actually say exactly uh, this is how Vikings thought that, that it that it worked out. But the idea of like going north at least seems to have been one of the ideas that has sort of like um, become more stable later on. Um, so so I think I think that there's probably a lot of them who eventually sort of like ended up with like yeah yeah that people go that way you know. <laughs> and so you made me think about think that because. Um, Hermoda is advised to go. I mean, it's located, Hell is located like down in north. Like you imagine going north or something. Like you said, it's hard. It's harder to go there. It's a more unpleasant journey than going south. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. I guess they knew they knew what was south as well. Like they had an idea. If you're in Norway, you knew, I guess, that Denmark was south and then Europe was south of that. Whereas north, I imagine they only got so far. And then we're like, fuck this, there's not much up there. <laughs> so it's easy to then say, well, beyond that has got to be, there's got to be, they probably thought something's beyond that. Well, why can't it be hell? Well, yeah. yeah. They were well-traveled think... people, so. Yeah. yeah. So so they they definitely uh, um, knew, sort of like, quote-unquote, knew what was up there in the, in the sense that they knew that that, that that direction, that's where you have ice mm-hmm. in it and a grimy polar bear um and and yeah i i'm sure that anybody with the awareness of that would probably uh locate uh, a realm of the dead in that direction too um yeah probably because you died if you went up there that's also part of it i guess <laughs> um aside from that of course we also have some influence from uh, other types of medieval literature we have the um um the vision literature, the this this type of literature that starts with perhaps with Saint Paul actually, um, stories about going to the underworld and um, or sometimes also go into heaven. The best example of this that we know in Western culture is uh, Dante's uh, uh, Divine Comedy. That that would be the best sort of like known example. Uh, but the, but that type of literature is like very widespread um, long before him. And what we see in in Scandinavia is actually uh, sort of like a fusion in the in the after conversion and in the medieval period, a fusion of the the idea of going to the underworld and going to hell to to learn things about how God will punish you and all that stuff. Um, and that, like, that is fused with local cosmology in the sense that, you know, then you sometimes go on a horizontal level instead, and then you go down or, or, or something like that. And that's exactly what's happening in, in Saxo's uh, history of the Danes. We have this, like, he, he basically introduces Christianity to Denmark through an Icelander who is hanging out at the Danish king's court. And he's telling all these stories about Nordic mythology. And then people are like, fuck this guy. Let's try to uh, make him uh, go and uh, find these gods that he keeps talking about. And then he goes on this like crazy journey uh, where he finds Loki, uh, who's like tied in a, in a uh, cave somewhere on an island far up in the North Sea. And then he goes somewhere else where he finds uh, Geirröder. And um, 
his three daughters that have had their backs broken by Thor in the underworld and like this like weird, you know, grimy, dark castle. And like, it's actually a really awesome story. Um, but that all that stuff happens sort of more on a horizontal level than going down into hell. And Saxo's purpose is to tell people that, um, you know, this, this is, uh, the pagan gods suck and you know in the end this Icelandic guy he ends up in Germany and gets um, baptized and then comes back to Denmark and the Danish king finds out just how much his gods suck and then he dies <laughs> so it's actually a really weird story but it's pretty awesome very metal too actually <laughs> so I mean I guess there's no confusion over the there's clearly some sort of link i guess between hell and christian hell or at least in the name yeah the name definitely. so which one came first who who got there first i mean pagans in, did yeah the, the name definitely hell it's from or old norse and you can also trace it back to proto-germanic uh so it's a really old word and it means concealed and i mean that's yeah, the death is concealed to mm -hmm. the people who are alive. So it makes uh, a lot of sense that it's called hell. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, and I mean, there's, uh, but in, in Spanish, it's infierno. So in uh, Latin, something similar as, as well. So it's totally different. So definitely the word. Uh, you also have uh, another proto-Germanic word, kveljanan, which is to torture or kill in Norwegian you have kvel which means to strangle but yeah you usually die from that so mm -hmm. um and but Matthias I also found something interesting about um hell because it can it looks like or it actually the actual word because it looks like it can also be uh connected to um hölja or like like pour down or and uh, hil, uh, and we say if Norwegian, we say if some, the rain is pouring down, we say it's hölger. Mm -hmm. um, and that, uh, or and that sounds like hail, which is the H rune. So I'm, uh, I don't know if I'm like a bit all over the place, but can you connect the H rune to Hagalas to the? Uh, maybe not hell, but at least the word itself, because it, it would make sense because it's cold in hell. Um, yeah, so I I am not sure that that uh, is um, uh, it's possible to uh, uh, connect the word uh, hell hagalas uh, to 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 hell. Um, just looking it up though, because it's actually kind of interesting. Hegel, um, Hagel, Hagel. Uh, no, no, that one is uh, seems to be related to to an old proto-Germanic word for pebble. Um, but huh. what we have right in, in in those Norwegian words that you're talking about is is uh, the same origin as, for instance, in the Danish, hule, uh, inhule. Uh, which basically means to cover, shroud, right? So uh, I'm pretty sure without having investigated it that any further, that that's probably the same origin as, as hell as well. 
yeah. because we, this this root is very uh, productive both in like germanic but also in 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 uh, in romance languages like the english word cellar uh, basement right yeah we have cellar in norwegian yeah yeah, yeah. in kela in in mm. danish yeah so yeah. They're, yeah they're they're exactly the same yeah it's a very like amazing word like there's so many things that stems out yeah. from it it seems so i uh, I, I I also saw that one page. Uh, it was a bit, um, yeah. It didn't it didn't use that many sources, but it it did actually. Uh, I just saw it. I looked it online five minutes ago uh, before the podcast that uh, they wrote like the H rune is hell or something, and I was like, mm, I don't know, but it could maybe make sense. But it it's yeah, yeah it's so- easy to get carried away. Yeah, as that's, well. Yeah, that's 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 the main problem with um like the the science of uh, uh of etymology. Like it if things like sound alike, people have a tendency. And this, you know, we have a lot of um like folk etymology in Scandinavia and broadly also in Europe. Like these ideas that like oh this word comes from the same origin because it sounds the same right um the best example is um a lot of uh, you you can find a lot of people claiming that thor has like a whole lot of place names in scandinavia because there are a lot of places that's called tor something uh here and there when you go back, you know, a couple of um, uh, uh, generations of, um, of uh, uh, you know, uh, books that uh, that are like listing place names for different reasons, like, you know, maybe, you know, you have a, a local uh, book on like who owns what land and that kind of stuff. Then you'll usually find that uh, these, uh, these place names that are associated with Thor by modern people looking at them, because like Scandinavians think, oh, that's got to be the same. They might actually be, you know, um, derived from a word that means shit instead, and then <laughs> something entirely different. So, so that's that's like one of the things that that happens once in a while, and it's easy to think, oh yeah, that's uh, that that makes sense. What with the word hail, what needs to be explained is of course old uh, G um, that that appears in the word. Uh, that you see, for instance, in Old English, Hegel, um, and and that that doesn't fit with the the, the root for the word for hell, um, because that doesn't have that in there. So so that's that's our main lead into like saying that ah, it's probably not the same origin. Um, but um, no, it, it's a it, the interesting thing is that uh, that you know in Northern Europe. The idea of that, like covered underworld, that's not necessarily full of a lot of fire and brimstone and, and sulfur and all that stuff, has actually persisted. Um, it, the 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 idea that you know um, hell is an inferno, as you mentioned, the Spanish uh, word is inferno. Um, that is a very Christian way of thinking about it, and it comes from um, uh, Pope. Gregory, who who literally wrote the, wrote about you know the um, the torturous inferno that you will find in the volcanoes of Sicily, that's that's what he's saying. And you see then later on uh, Icelandic intellectuals being like, well, we have that right over there, 
So like <laughs> there's got to be another entrance to hell as well. Um, but that's a very medieval uh, theory for for Scandinavia. Before that, it was like some kind of like more like cold, dank, dark place. <laughs> yeah, not much going on. No, <laughs> it seems, but but still, uh, I find it interesting when you like. Uh, I think okay, I'm not sure, but if I remember correctly, it's not a, at one point writes that hell is an unpleasant, awful place. But then uh, when Balder dies and goes to hell and i mean even that it says that balder is the favorite god and then he goes to hell i mean it can't be that bad because i mean and in yeah he writes that the bad people go to hell but then balder who is the favorite god goes to hell so that doesn't that's already it doesn't make any sense and it's annoying and then <laughs> and then also when hermod goes to uh, ask uh oh please can um uh, can Baldur come out of hell? She's like, yeah. Um, if uh, everyone cries for him, then I will like imply it. I will see that he is important for the world. So she's actually giving him a chance, and Nana, his wife, is there with him, and they. Uh, she has already greeted Baldur with a feast, and he's on the high seta, the high seat, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. Uh, um, uh, and then Balder escorts Hermod out. So it's not like he's a prisoner either. It seems like he's more like subject to some type of law that, yeah, you're dead. So you have to kind of stay here. Um, so, uh, I mean, it's uh, it's already a lot of contradictions in there. But I think it's, so I, I mean, yeah, it's not, it's not like, it's definitely not like a Christian hell because it, it, she has all these like high... Uh, like she has farms, she has uh, um, like yeah, uh, high walls, ha- tall buildings, um, and uh, yeah, it, it's no mention of her being having servants that punishes people. Just like she has two slaves, two servants who walks so slowly that <laughs> no one has seen them walk. Which is just... <laughs> the service in this place is shitty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> To, to piggyback on on the back of that, I think you have this idea of hell being horrible, torturous. Satan's there with his whips and whatever else, and you know you're going to be punished for eternity. Whereas, how accurate is that to kind of like nostalgic version of hell in the face? In the it seems a little bit harsh in the fact that most people, you know, if you don't die in battle, the idea is that you go to hell. It seems pretty harsh if you're going to suffer forever just mm. for not dying in battle. Obviously, I understand the, I, the ideal situation is to go out in the Warriors, you know, go out swinging and, and go to uh, to Valhalla. But if that doesn't happen, you were taken by sickness. It seems a little mean to uh, be sent to, to like the Christian version of hell. Yeah, so so there's a couple of things to say, and let's uh, just to like dial back to what you, you were pointing out, Stina, with the, uh, uh, the, the 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 disconnect between Balder being like the the best of all the gods, and then you know going to hell and you know all of that stuff. Um, that that is uh, Snorri Sturluson's uh, opinion about him. Um, so yeah, yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. 
the, the interesting thing is that Snorri, he, uh, he's very clever in his representation of all of this. He basically, he tells us, this is place called hell. Yeah, I was just saying, yeah, I mean, like, he didn't make any sense with, like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it, and that's uh, and that's uh, that's because he wants to sneak uh, a Christian punishment of sinners into the story. Um, that's what he's doing here. He's uh, he he's so so in his Christian mind. Uh, I think it's the fifth level of hell. Uh, that's for heathens, and that's how he perceives the, the Nordic gods. Snorri Sturluson thought of the Nordic gods as humans. He thought that they were sorcerers who who were basically capable of uh, of tricking people to to believe that they were gods. That that he explains all of this in the the prologue to the Edda. So so this you, you have to see the death of Baldur in Snorri's description in relation to that. Yeah, and so yeah. that that tells that us they come about, from Asia, and <laughs> that they came from Asia, that they came from <laughs> Troy even. Um, and so 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 that's that's part of his representation but if we try to like take the story of Baldur's death out of uh, that christian context and say like well what would this have looked like if for people who had never heard about the those the christian ideas of of, of the underworld um and and that brings us to your question daniel about like this weird uh, uh, disconnect between like a warrior paradise and then shitty afterlife for everybody else. Um, that's again, I think, very snurry, um, who is like inflating ideas about uh, Valhut that you know obviously are from the Viking Age. They're they, the earliest ideas of Valhut um, and the idea of like quote unquote warrior paradise are definitely from the Viking Age, but. Um, I don't think, first of all, that it was particularly a paradise uh, in in their minds. Um, this is very snurry. Uh, he is the one who takes certain stances out of uh, uh, the poem Grimismal. And then he says, oh, look at this. They eat bacon and they get drunk and they're having a party. That's Sounds like fucking really, paradise to me. It does sound like paradise, <laughs> but that's not really what those stances actually say, though. Okay. <laughs> They are much more cryptic, like when it comes down to it. Um, it one, the the one that he uses, I think, is eighteen, number eighteen from Grimismal. I can't remember exactly, but but that one says actually. But few know what the Einher yeah actually eat. So it's, it's like they don't eat that bacon that you talked about. It like it literally says in the stanza that we don't know what they live off. Um, so. Like there's there's a lot of uh, ambiguity and a lot of uh, messing around with the source material from Snorri's side, so that's one thing. And then then the question is like, is hell that dreary? Is does it suck that much? Um, and and Snorri gives us this long description of like how the the dish is called hunger and the knife is called famine, so that indicates that there's nothing to eat there, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you know the the curtains are called gleaming bale or sickness or whatever something like that so so, so it's like, it sucks and that's like, again because he wants to contrast with that warrior paradise that he's like you know creating for us um because his idea of of like the vikings these pre-christian ancestors of his was that they were all about war and 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 being jerk offs like 
we have to actually mm-hmm. consider that he he thought they were kind of jerk offs. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's also part of it. Um, and so, the, of course, naturally, they would have like sort of like same kind of like Christian ideas about heaven and hell, um, but it would just be you know different in the sense that they were all about war. So, so, so paradise must be all about war, right? That's really what he's doing. If we go to um, Saxo again, who's such a treasure trove when it comes to Nordic mythology, actually, Saxo has placed Valhurt in hell. Like you go to the underworld to find uh, that uh, that part, uh, that place where warriors go to, and he doesn't have any descriptions of um, y- you know the, the, a feast or uh, awesome party, partying in, in Odin's Hall and all that stuff. All he has is eternal war in the underworld. But it's it he he is like almost verbatim quoting parts of the poem Vertuspal, for instance, talking about the rivers of uh, of axes and swords and all that stuff. So these are two different Christian authors in medieval times trying to tell us a couple of things about their ancestors who weren't Christians, right? Um, if we Sounds go back- so complicated. It is always complicated, <laughs> but if we go to like, what did these people probably think? Like, did, did those people who lived before Christianity in Scandinavia, they probably had more of an idea that that the the afterlife kind of mirrored the life that you had lived, that you, for instance, had the same status. If you were a king, you would also be a king in the afterlife. If you were a peasant, you would be a peasant in the afterlife, and so on, and. Um, I mean, if you think about it, they, they loaded up people's graves with all kinds of items, grave goods, things that they obviously thought these people would need in death. So, so that means then that they also thought that you needed you know, a nice little package of, of goodies to bring with you to the underworld mm-hmm. so you can be set up, right? Um, so in a sense, basically, when you didn't talk about hell as this covered place, this this place that we can't see, it's probably like they're probably just thinking that you know you 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 pass beyond that veil that that shrouds that person from us to live you know a similar type of life over there in the other world. It seems more Egyptian in its idea than that you go to another place and carry on living a life and you have to take things with you into this world rather than a Christian version of the afterlife because i guess i mean i'm not christian i don't profess to have ever know much about it but i guess my idea of heaven is that you kind of go there you don't really need anything because everything's there laid out waiting for you whatever you need you get you get a little halo above your head and, and that's and that's that you know that you don't have to take anything with you because you're looked after with whatever your heart desires so it's as far as I understand, the original Christian theology was actually that all that stuff was going to happen here on earth, not go to heaven. That we that you know, if we were Christian, then then we would basically rise from the dead when Christ comes back, and those who weren't Christian, they would uh, perish, and then you would have eternal life on earth. Okay. And um, then people started dying. Because <laughs> the original uh, congregation, they, they thought that they were going to live forever and then they like, started dying and then they freaked out. And then they, the, 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 the ball of theology, so to speak, started rolling 
and so you that's mean when Christianity yeah. adapted to suit so like scientific scientific finds and the changing of ideology. Yeah, yeah. Who thought, <laughs> who thought they'd do that? <laughs> I think a lot of I mean pre-Christian religions have so much in common. You can even go to I mean Yoruba religion uh, in Nigeria and. Uh, you see like a pantheon of gods even in West Africa was very similar to a pantheon of gods in uh, Greece or uh, Nordic mythology. So I, uh, it's, yeah, or in Hinduism as well. Um, yeah, so it's just, it's just, uh, I think it's so refreshing to read about because it kind of, even though you're not a Christian, how we are uh, socialized into seeing the world is so influenced by it so it's so refreshing to read about uh other types of uh world view world views i would say it makes perfect sense to me anyway that when you don't understand something that you would attach these deities to individual aspects of it rather than one kind of om- omnipresent omnipotent god that for me anyway if i didn't understand something i would just assumed that the lightning coming from the sky was an individual god and then you would pray to something else for your crops to grow or if you needed rain you would pray to something else that you would have all these individual days so it's no surprising that no matter where you go in the world that that human beings have kind of had this same idea of individual gods for individual aspects of what you want to achieve yeah definitely and i think also like uh hell it's said to be the like the mo- the biggest uh can i call it death realm death realm matthias like death mm-hmm. world because mm-hmm. there's difference and uh, there are different ones so uh just people thinking that yeah most people will go to hell uh because most people live um normal lives like they don't mm-hmm. have uh these uh like an extraordinary uh death in battle for example and them just thinking that yeah most people will end up in hell it it sounds so weird even when i say it because it sounds like something bad but they were probably like yeah we are mostly farmers here so most people live ordinary lives and Mm -hmm. die of um uh, hunger or old age or disease Mm -hmm. and those people go to hell um so on that note, Matthias, I wanted to ask you because, like, I—it's probably the literature geek in me that wants too much. But I was thinking that maybe, like, because the knife is called uh, and plates called hunger and hunger, hunger, or sort of, like, it can be read as a way that people die when they go to hell. So, like, mm-hmm. all these things that she has as a possession, it's actually you can interpret it as that's how the types of deaths that people die when they go there. There's another mm-hmm. thing that she has called like um, stoop, like mm, deep, yeah. deep, uh, uh, I don't know uh, the word for it in English, but like a cliff, deep cliff that you fall down from. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, I mean, that was also a way that people died. So I just... Stum- stumbling block. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I... So, yeah. 
I think that's a really, really good suggestion, actually. Like, um, we could see, like, again, Snorri is creating, like, this, like, nice little picture. But we could take all these elements and then say, yeah, this is, uh, these are the main ways that people would die. Like, 90% of Scandinavians <laughs> that, you know, in the Viking Age would live lives where they die from illness or or hunger or old age right so so that makes perfect sense actually um i, I really like that is really really conservative as well that's that's yeah. kind of one thing i was just about to say was it, we have this modern idea of of kind of the viking age and go and you know they all want to go to valhalla and they've been very war and and battle mm. on and i think it would <laughs> You must be like 1% of people went to war, surely. When you actually look down on kind of this whole place of an entire population of people, it must have been such a small percentage of people who actually went to war and then died in battle. It seems incredibly harsh that the only way to go to kind of like this amazing place is through that. So if I was like a regular person in Scandinavia, I'd be pretty pissed if it was kind of like this snorry idea of, you know, Valhalla's great and everybody else, it sucks for you guys to shit, get over it. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't think people necessarily thought about it like that because there's another world where unmarried women go uh, who are virgins, I mean, and unmarried. Uh, so then if you were a woman and you'd be, no, oh, I don't want to go to this horrible place, so I'm just going to, like, stay unmarried my whole life so I can go to this nice place like it doesn't it doesn't add up to mm-hmm. there's a lot of inconsistencies uh so I I don't think and also with just Balder going there and he, it seems like it's okay uh so I don't think it's it's you have we have to try to detach ourselves from the idea of el infierno the hell like even though the words are so closely related mm-hmm. in Norwegian, mm. uh, the Christian hell is called helvete, like helviti, like uh, uh, I, I guess it means concealed punishment. If you, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so it's it, it, I guess it's a good mental uh, exercise to try to detach yourself from hell being a place of place of punishment and more just maybe a place of you go there and not a lot. It seems like a, not a lot happens. <laughs> uh, but it's a concealed place, so it's also implying like people don't know what will happen. I think I think that's like the biggest takeaway right there. Like uh, these people back in the day, they they basically like they came up with a bunch of euphemisms for saying like we don't really know what ha- is going to happen, <laughs> and and they seem to be okay with that. One of the things that I I have always found a little curious is like all this tendency with so many people like wondering what's gonna happen when I die. It's like who the fuck cares? <laughs> like I mean, let's, let's it's try concealed. to it's, it's concealed. Con- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, yeah, and uh, oh, I was gonna make another point. Uh, just yeah, uh, just like um, when you write literature for example uh like snura does it he says like one rule is that if you say that someone is bad for example you have to follow it up by good writing is uh okay how is that person bad like describe it so snura says hell 
like the bad people go to hell. Uh, but then there's, from my understanding, not a lot of follow-up from that. Because what comes after is, like, yeah, there's nothing. And then there's Boulder who has a party with Hermod and Hell. And Hermod stays the night, uh, you know, with, and Nana is there. And I mean... <laughs> And he gets to take a nice golden ring with him when he goes home. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Wasn't it Thor that, no, Odin that gave the golden ring to Baldur, like put it mm-hmm. in the grave and then like he sends it up again to you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no. So, so yeah, so, yeah, yeah there's a, I mean, Snorri is giving us good stories about, uh, about these things. He's obviously, he obviously has a lot of knowledge in in pre-christian times this this is the fascinating thing about it you know the description of of balder's death where balder is put on a funeral pyre he, uh, there's horses there's, there's the boat there's uh, golden rings there's the gifts and all that stuff like this is straight up what we find in archaeology right so like snurri must have had some kind of knowledge like in in one way or another um, about what happened in in these at least like the the big um, you know magnate graves of the Viking Age. Um, otherwise, he wouldn't be able to 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 give us that description. Now, whether that came as a uh, sort of like a story that he had heard himself, like for instance, maybe he had heard the story of Baldur's death in another context, um, or if it it came in through like piecing together. Uh, knowledge or maybe even at a written document who uh, knows yeah that's probably why like he can add some of his own stuff but then Mm. like the like it doesn't add up with the information that he's given so it just clashes um i wanted to ask you about um because hell she's uh the child of luca and angerboda both you this uh, great jotuns and she is the sister of fenris uh, the Fenris wolf and uh, oh, some people say Fenrir uh, and then she's the sister of the Midgard uh, worm is that how you say it in English? Midgard serpent, sorry Yeah. Um, so then you and sh- they are all raised in Jotunheimen uh, it seems so just I mean it, I just so funny to think about like this like a bit creepy looking woman and she has to Brothers, one is a worm, one is a wolf, and you have Luke, who's probably an absent father. (laughs) Yeah, I really want to make a picture, like, just family and have, like, the whole... uh, I I love um, the sound of this. That's amazing. (laughs) And then just have, like, this, like, really, like, everybody looking really happy and cozy. But, like... (laughs) I I honestly can't can't get this image out of my mind of Loki trying to round up the kids to take them down to the take them out for like a family portrait you know that, like i don't know if your parents ever took you to one of these ones that they booked in advance where they you kind of yeah. go to they a were studio. never in them though it was just like me and my yeah yeah, yeah. there's like a little studio set up with yeah. like a box so it looks quite victorian eh? and there's yeah, a yeah. weird man there taking pictures of you <laughs> and you have like <laughs> these weird like <laughs> weird that... nice looking clothes <laughs> yeah exactly there's like a box or like a chest and you can pick out the clothes you want so i can just imagine loki kind of like rounding up his kids to take them to this weird photo shoot yeah if anybody wants to make a cartoon or a drawing of that please do yeah i i, I will i have been thinking about doing a like a family portrait at least so but i will probably take some 
yeah, a lot of teamwork from a lot of people to do that. But it would it would be so cool. I, I would sure. I would love to see to see that uh, situation with uh, like a in a in a typical Christmas. Uh, a family portrait with like nice Christmas sweaters on and stuff like that. Yeah, that would be quite cool. There's a lot of fun to be had with this, I think. <laughs> that should be. We should we should do a competition when we get the uh, merchandise up and running. We should uh, have a little competition and see what people can come up with for a free T-shirt <laughs> or something. I love it. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's why Loki and Angerbuda kind of like hit it off. Like he had already turned himself into a female horse and given birth to <laughs> uh, another to a ho- eight-legged horse. So they were like, "Oh yeah, we make weird kids. We should make some weird kids together." <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, there's some aspects of of nostalgia which are just batshit crazy. Like. I don't think they can have come up with some of this stuff unless they were taking psychedelics or other types of drugs. They probably were. I mean, I, there's some weed found in the Oseberg grave. Oh yeah, yeah, but you're not getting these ideas from weed alone. Oh, I get, yeah. I mean, oh, I'm no, saying, I'm saying. Well, there's weed there, so hmm. I mean, that's isn't no, it? I, it's a gateway drug, isn't it? Psilocybin <laughs> mushrooms grow in cow dung, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, for sure, I'm there, sure has, you could <laughs> there has to have been some things even just down to like the the idea of a ship made of fingernails bringing the dead to to regular yes, like it, i mean it's a beautiful way of saying cut your nails because it's dirty and bacteria so they're there so like kind of like gorilla like you're scaring mm-hmm. people to uh behaving or do to making smart decisions yeah, and you know what? I feel like nowadays, like what we're seeing, especially here in the U.S., with people being like, "Now I'm not going to wear a mask because, like, pandemic. I don't give it." And you're like, "Oh, it's like you need to be scared straight, my friend." Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> it's the plague. Okay, so <laughs> let, let me just uh, uh, read to you um, uh, how Snorri Sturluson uh, describes this little uh, uh, situation with the the, the children. He goes, uh, that one, uh, he's talking about Loki, that one is also reckoned among the Aesir, whom some call the Aesir's calumniator and originator of deceits and the disgrace of all gods and men. He's like really laying on a big big layer here of like, Mm -hmm. screw Loki. His name is Loki or Lopt, which means heir. Leve or is his mother. Bileister and Helblindi are his brothers. Loki is pleasing and handsome in appearance, evil in character, very capricious in behavior. He possessed uh, to a greater degree than others the kind of learning that is called cunning and tricks for uh, every purpose. He was always getting the Aesir into a complete fix and often got them out of it by trick. Sigin is the name of his wife, Nari or Narvi, their son. And Loki had other offspring too. There, were, there was a giantess called Angerboda in giant land, Jörtunheimer. Um, with her, Loki had three children. One was Fenris Wolf, the second Jörmungandr, the Midgard serpent, and the third Hel. And when the gods realized that these three siblings were being brought up in giant land, Jotunheimer, 
and when the gods traced the uh, traced prophecies stating that uh, from these siblings great mischief and disaster would arise for them then they all uh, felt evil was uh, uh, to be expected from them to begin with because of their mother's nature but still worse because of their fathers um and then goes on to tell us how um uh, all father he calls him uh sent the gods to get the children and bring them to him and when they came to him he threw the serpent into the deep sea which lies around all lands and the serpent grew so that it lies in the midst of the ocean encircling all lands and bites on its own tail hell he threw into Nibelheimer and gave her authority over nine worlds uh, such that uh, she has to administer board and lodging to those sent to her. And then he goes on to the, this explanation of like how it all sucks down there and all that stuff. And then after that, we then have the story about uh, the Fenris wolf and um, how they uh, managed to chain it up after Thor got his hand munched off and all that stuff. So the uh, the interesting thing is that um, Snurri is, is, you know, fusing a couple of things here. He's definitely using a little bit of Christianity too, to, um, to give us a sense of God basically casting Satan into the underworld. That's, that's part of the illusions that he's making here, both to hell and also to the Midgard serpent. The idea of like be, that serpent being thrown into the deep sea. Um, if we start like really digging into the um, meanings of words and names and Kenningar euphemisms for the Midgard serpent, for instance, it might actually not be a serpent at all. That's Snurri's interpretation. If you start digging into um, Verlospau and how it represents Ragnarok, we could also start questioning whether or not there's actually a difference between the Fenris wolf and uh, the Midgard serpent there. And if this Midgar serpent is even really a serpent, that's been questioned by scholars before. Um, the, the original underlying idea behind Snare's descriptions might actually just be the wolf in and of itself as, as sort of like an, a symbol or image of chaos and, and destruction that the gods uh, are facing. So there's like a, there's a lot of like um, very interesting. Um, and, and very complex um, uh, background to all of this that Snurri sort of mentions, uh, manages to, to synthesize into uh, the, 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 the fact that Loki is, is like his, his scapegoat Judas devil kind of figure, right? Mm -hmm. um, so like it's, um, it's, it's really interesting to see that, that he's, he's creating this, he's basically creating sort of like a theology out of this um where he's he's probably more just riffing off of like christian ideas than than anything else i think that's probably something the takeaway from this episode to remember that snorri is writing from a very christian perspective he is i mean it, it doesn't mean that 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 is not like that, that these ideas can't fit into our our, our way of thinking about it but but uh, he's definitely he's definitely taking elements that existed before and then he's like placing them into like this nice Christian puzzle 
that he's <laughs> serving up for us, right? Yeah, he's, and, he's got an agenda almost to fit things around. Yeah, so so you just have to be careful in how you interpret it, I guess. I would say so. <laughs> Perfect. Let's let's wrap this one up. I think we're at like an hour and a half. So fl- flies by. <laughs> yeah, they really didn't have so many more questions, but uh, yeah, I'll save them. For Next time, time. Halloween. Time. <laughs> Halloween. Yes. That's it. Um, is there anything you want to plug? Do you want to give your Instagram a shout out? Uh, yeah, for the ones who want to follow me and see how I inter interpret in- interpret interpret <laughs> uh, Scandinavian folklore and or mythology. You can follow me at Hel Hyman. Uh, I don't know if that is understandable or like. To- uh, we'll. I mean, we'll yeah. we'll share the, yeah. the the Instagram page anyway, so people will find it. Perfect. Uh, yeah. So thank you so much for having me. This was uh, a lot of fun. It was fun. Yes, yeah, it Mat- was. Matthias, what about you? Anything you want to plug, shout out, your Instagrams? Yeah, you can always find me on my uh, by my name, Matthias Norvik, on my Instagram. Um, and yeah, of course, also go to Facebook and give the uh, Nordic Mythology Podcast uh, a like. Mm-hmm. Um, and follow us on, on Instagram as well. Do you want to plug it all <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best to to wrap it all up nicely with a bow uh yeah so you can obviously follow the podcast instagram which is Nordic mythology podcast on instagram you can follow me personally which is daniel underscore farand one and obviously horns of odin at horns of odin if you enjoy the podcast please take a minute to leave us a five-star review and a positive rating did I get that the right way around? I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it really helps people find the podcast. Obviously, if they're unsure whether to download it, they might read a nice review and then uh, download it and give it a listen and give it a try and then like what they hear. You can also support us on Patreon. Obviously, Patreon forward slash Naughty Mythology Podcast, where we have a bunch of stuff. Um, we have some new stuff coming. Like I said, we're going to be doing merch in the in January now. The, I was going to say in the new year then. But we're going to be doing some merch soon, so people on Patreon will get a nice little discount off the first lot as well. So it's, it, hopefully we'll have his benefits for being on there. Um, and you can watch the episodes or on our YouTube channel, which is just Nordic Mythology Podcast. At the minute, it's just Nordic Mythology Podcast channel. And I think that's it. I think I got everything. <laughs> I need to make All a it. list. It's getting longer every week. <laughs> We're gonna have to start splitting it up. You're gonna have to do half the work. You're gonna have to like remember to say half of it. <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, thank, thank you so, so much, much for joining us. Thank, thank you, you so much care. for having me. Take no care. No problem. Anytime. Mm-hmm.